that's that's going in the episode now, though. We'll cut it in. We'll cut it in. Oh man. Thanks for checking out this podcast. Remember, it's presented by Minnesota's very own Ticket King. If you're looking for tickets for an upcoming game or event at TCF Bank Stadium, Target Center, or XL Center, visit TicketKingOnline.com or the link from the 1500ESPN.com sports calendar page. Ticket King has all your tickets for Minnesota baseball, plus all the concerts, all the theaters, and at all venues. And Ticket King can take care of you for out-of-town concerts, sporting events, and more. Call 612-341-4141 or visit TicketKingOnline.com. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. It's a beautiful game, Now our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. I didn't know they still had a team. That's baseball. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Channel 5 web guys storming in here like Kramer from Seinfeld. I think we had this resume, this room reserved for two hours, though. Maybe. I guess I guess that, that, that memo was not sent out. No, what Actually, happened? the Twins have been so bad this year that... <laughs> the room we reserved two months ago is no longer in. Yeah, it said it said people talking about the twins in this room for the next two hours. So people naturally assume, oh, well, that's done, right? When when, <laughs> when did the twin season get over? <laughs> uh, let's start. Let's start with the trade. There was three trades since the last time we, I believe, right? Eduardo Nunez was traded after our last episode. You are correct, sir. I didn't black out. We didn't do a full episode on Eduardo Nunez trade, <laughs> and I missed that last week. Did I? Yeah, you, you you don't remember stumbling over the Adalberto. <laughs> trying to pronounce Mejia's first name? Bert Mejia is what yeah, we're going I, with. I went on your radio show, and you were calling him Bert already for short because it was easier. Judd wants to call him Al. I want to call him Bert. I All think right. Bert Mejia sounds sounds more like a a pitcher. Well, a pitcher from the 80s. It yeah. sounds like Bert Blyler. Yeah, I was going to say he probably cares a lot about complete games and not much else. And wins. And reliever wins. Sure. Wins right. and loss records. Ricky Nolasco and Alex Meyer for Hector Santiago, and I believe we're pronouncing it Alan Buznitz. Yeah, I think Buznitz is correct. Alan Buznitz. Um, so the money is basically a wash. This is what they call a cash-neutral trade. Um, the, the Twins are going to pay for Ricky Nolasco the rest of this year. The Angels are going to pay for Hector Santiago the rest of this year. Santiago makes a couple million dollars the rest of this year, and Nolasco makes like four and a half or something. And then the Twins throw in four million next year just to balance it out so, uh, so the money's more equal. I look at it this way. If the if the money's a wash and if the prospects are both flameouts, they're both in their mid twenties and they're both sort of flamethrowers that haven't figured it out yet, I'd rather have Hector Santiago for the next year and a half than Ricky Nolasco. So just on that level right there, and then you can maybe spin Santiago off next trade deadline if if you're uh, not in contention. So I mean but, it's not like a home run trade for the twins, but it's sure. a creative way to get rid of a guy that you didn't want in Ricky Nolasco. And um, I guess it's sort of a change of scenery prospect swap. Um, two comments on that. I And I hope I'm not sort of tipping my hand here with this. I liked all three trades for the Twins. Um, I like this one because you're getting rid of Nolasco. Uh, that frees up a rotation spot. I think Santiago, look, I, I know the advanced metrics say that there's not a big difference between these two guys. They're both just kind of like back-end fill-in starters. I think Santiago's a better pitcher than Nolasco, flat out. And so you're upgrading your rotation, and for that upgrade, all you have to pay is the $4 bucks to make the cash work and swapping prospects that you're, you don't like. 
Like, neither team likes that prospect. Otherwise, this trade doesn't happen. I find it funny that Rob Antony was insisting that the Angels were apparently saying, yeah, we need a reliever who's close to big league ready. And then they circled Alex Meyer's name and said, no, it's got to be this guy. Is that who, were they referring to Ricky Nolasco in their no, bullpen? No, 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 no. Alex Meyer, Meyer is a reliever that's big league ready. Exactly. Alex Meyer what? is like right there knocking on the door. See, of course, we sit here and we can, we can scoff at that, but if the Angels take Alex Meyer in and he becomes a viable 7th mm-hmm. or 8th inning guy or – heaven forbid a starting pitcher that's in their rotation for the next five years right the twins already look bad taking the two guys the biggest free agent signing at the time in franchise history and one of the the most prominent pitching prospects they've ever traded for mm-hmm. and including them in the same deal and, and waving a white flag as on a both. throwaway yeah so it's like you can it's it is weird praising rob anthony for this deal in particular because he was the second guy in line in a front office that brought the team to where they are now over the last six years and played a large role, I would assume, behind the scenes in bringing in Ricky Nolasco and Alex Meyer. So it's it's on one hand you're you're praising him for making a good move here, but at the same time he was very influential in the crafting of sure. the roster that uh, that has lost more games than anyone but the Astros the last six years. The counterfactual: we know what has happened up to this date. We cannot know what might have otherwise happened if circumstances were different. If Rob Antony was GM. Does the contract for Nolasco happen? Does the span for Alex Meyer trade happen? We can speculate, but we can't know. So I'm grading him only on what we for sure know, and that is that he trade two pieces that I wouldn't want on my 40-man roster and got something possibly of value back. Like you said, I'm not going to call this a home run. I mean, it's not like a run of, whoa, you got Hector yeah. Santiago? Now, if you had ditched the entire contract, if, if you pulled this exact trade off, sure, yeah. and... You, Plus the four million that you gave you, away. You, so you you keep the four million dollars, right. and instead of paying for Nolasco the rest of this year, you save another two and a half million by paying for Santiago. So in theory, you would you would save. And Santiago is an arbitration guy yeah. next year, so he's going to go from like a five million dollar salary to eight call it nine. eight or nine, yeah. whatever it is. Um, so if you if you somehow saved like five million dollars yeah. in this trade and and it was the players involved, right. even better. But well, the Angels exactly. sort of saw through that. That's too, about, I mean, that's about six and a half million of value if you add those two things together. That I don't think this trade gets done if it's not for that. I love how the Angels too. The Angels have always been one of the top five, six, seven payrolls for right. the most part. Yeah, but, but the they, Angels were the ones haggling over four million dollars. <laughs> right, I know, I know. Come on, well, guys. Yeah, it's cheapskates. It comes down to owners at that point, and uh, I don't know that you're going to find a lot of positive things said um, out there, but. The uh, the the trade is good in a vacuum. I like the fact that the Twins are targeting pitching. I don't know anything about Buznitz. I, I like I've seen his stats, and okay, you can get excited about a stats page, but you know who else's stat page in a total vacuum, not knowing anything about him, you'd get excited about Alex Meyer up until like last year. Sure, yeah. ninety nine mile an hour fastball, big breaking ball, gets rave reviews from scouts. He's a little tall. He's six foot nine. He struggles to repeat his delivery. These some things, but but. You can work with this former BA top 100 prospect. And I'm like, I know, I know. I've heard it all. I've seen it. In fact, I mentioned a minute ago that Meyer was uh, potentially knocking on the door of the major leagues. Well, to knock on that door, he would need to use his left arm because he's had so many shoulder ailments this year that would scare me away, frankly, if I was the Angels. He has not pitched since he was demoted from the Twins in in May, right? Not to my knowledge. Unless he's done a couple rehab things down in in, Fort They had him thrown on the side for a little bit. And they were trying to get him back into Rochester's bullpen. They were trying to get him 
you know, throwing the ability to throw from flat ground and pitch on a mound in a game is different. And so he'd get kind of up to that point, right? It's like, it was like Glenn Perkins. He could get up to that point, and then it was like, you go on a mound, nope, Boy. nope, that's all she wrote. Uh, two things about this. The Angels are taking a gamble on Meyer. Uh, and secondly, like you just mentioned, what if he goes to the Angels and actually realizes the potential he's had? And it's just the Twins' framework. It's the Twins' environment. It's their minor league system that's been holding him back. That's well, a pretty damning indictment of the entire system if that's yeah. the case. So a couple things off that. Um, I think the best analogy I can come up with for, for both Alan Buznitz and for Alex Meyer, they're both driving Ferraris. But neither one of them can see over the steering wheel, and neither one of them like knows how to drive a stick shift. Like they're they're both throwing almost a hundred miles an hour with movement. Hmm. They both have high strikeout totals, but they can't control their command. Yeah. They don't know where all the buttons are. You, know, they, you look at them on paper, and you look at them as as developmental guys a few years ago. And in my, let's keep in mind, Meyer's like twenty six or twenty seven years old yeah. now too. He's a bust. Once you get to be that age, and and you're really nowhere near being a serviceable major leaguer. You're a bust unless you prove otherwise. Right. Um, a bust for now kind of thing. Yeah. Well, he's a bust unless he unless Correct. he's a late bloomer in some way. Uh, do you drive stick? Have you driven stick? Uh, I drove stick a few times. My dad used to drive a stick shift okay. when I was first learning how to drive. Sure. And I drove it much like Alan Buznitz and <laughs> Alex Meyer pitch in a major league game. Just oh, stall. <laughs> so that's like, super I nervous. <laughs> really don't have all my faculties about me. You're really praying to God you don't have to stop on an incline at a stoplight. <laughs> Which is a problem if you're a pitcher, by the way, because you're like always on an incline. <laughs> okay. Uh, so your Meyer kept falling back off the mound. <laughs> I was going to say that. You don't want to drive a stick in Duluth if you've never driven it before. So so my thought is that uh, just the, the metaphor only falls apart in that you, you're not going to get up to 100 in that Ferrari if you don't know how to shift from second to third gear. And... Uh, and I, like I said, I don't know enough about Buznitz. Maybe he's kind of, maybe he's a quote unquote damaged goods kind of prospect too. Um, I just like the fact overall that the Twins clearly, very clearly, they can say whatever they want about other trades they were targeting, all that stuff. It's very clear that based on the three moves that they did make, they circled starting pitching in red sharpie and said, "This is what we need to get. We need to get pitchers, relievers, starters." It's all good. We need more of it, especially at the high end of the uh, minor leagues. How much more likely would it have been to just be like, okay, yeah, we'll deal Brandon Kinsler and we'll be willing to take an A-ball lottery ticket back? Maybe there's a team out there that wanted that. Or Kurt Suzuki. You could get go get two A-ballers for Kurt Suzuki, I'm guessing. Yeah. And are either one of them going to reach the majors? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe not. But the who is the guy? Was it... Um, Oh, you're going to have to correct me if I'm wrong on this. J.C. Romero, when they flipped him, was it to Anaheim? And is that the Alexi Casilla trade? I if, believe, wow. So no, I, no J, J.C. Alexi Casilla and J.C. Romero played on the same teams. How about uh, Juan Rincon? Was it when they dealt him up? I, I thought Romero went to Philly. I don't remember who they got in return. So this was before I covered baseball, and I'm kind of just trying to remember the, the details of it. But um, it, anyway, you'd go trade for an A-ball Alexi Casilla. And Casilla made the big leagues. Okay, great. So that's a, that's basically a win in in, in that department. Um, I give the Twins credit for being willing to take guys like Mejia, um, for example, that have a probably a lower ceiling. I mean, they're not being raved about as a top ten prospect. In fact, I've seen a couple prospect lists 
Uh, Mejia, the guy that came back from the Giants in the Eduardo Nunez trade, he's not a top 10 Twins prospect right now. But, now, that's, but that's it's fine. A de- it's a deep farm system. But you're, you're not going to get that for Eduardo Nunez exactly. anyways. And my, that's my point is I'm giving them credit for taking someone who's close and who has a chance to contribute, heck, as early as this September. Um, but more like, I mean, next year is sort of what you're looking at with, with those trades. Rather than taking somebody like Alex Meyer is a bad example, but Someone like Alex. Yeah, bear with me for a second because they're like a low A baller with perceived really high ceiling. The the Twins didn't necessarily – it doesn't seem to me anyways like they were swinging for high ceiling. They were looking for likely impact. Well, put it it this way. Who would you you trust more to develop a minor league pitcher? The Giants and someone who's already gone through three levels of the minor leagues with the Giants who developed Madison Bumgarner and Tim Lincecum and Matt Cain – and Noah Lowry before the injury 10 years ago, to uh, Sergio Romo and Brian Wilson, these guys. I mean, actually, the, the, the Giants have taken a lot of guys who were drafted in the 22nd, 24th, 27th rounds, and those guys have turned into viable closers or starters. So that's, that's their track record for 10 years. The Twins' track record for developing pitching the last 10 years is terrible. So actually, I don't know if it's accidental stumbling upon uh, this process, or if it's self-awareness to say, you know what, let's take a guy who's already in AAA in the PCL and uh, and that the Giants have already developed, and let's take him instead of an A-baller and a lottery ticket that we're going to have right. to develop on our own. That's exactly And it. that brings me back to your Alex Meyer point and, and uh, the phrase lottery ticket. We talked about this on my radio show today. I'm, I'm glad we can dive a little bit more into it on the podcast. And then we actually we have a fight that we have to bring back from that radio show. I've got a, I've got a bone to pick with you, sir. Is it that you think I was being literal with Max Kepler? I think that's what this fight's going to be about. Okay. But on with we'll your point. It. Okay. So every pitcher, every player, but I'm going to stick with pitchers because they're even more uh, – they're just – there's more variance with pitchers. I think it's it's tougher to project pitchers. That's fair. Every pitcher you draft and or sign and or trade for that's low in the minor leagues or just coming out of uh, high school or college is a lottery ticket. And if you think of it this way, you can attach a certain percentage of success rate to that lottery ticket based on a number of different factors. How good and talented were they leading up to the point where you acquired them? Were they... Are they Steven Strasburg talented or Tommy Malone talented? Okay, mm-hmm. so that factors in. What's their framework like? How, how good or bad are their mechanics? All these things factor into the percentage of chance they hit once they get to the big leagues. And then the other thing to factor in is how good are you as an organization at taking that pitcher from A to Z and giving them the best chance to succeed? Well, when the Twins acquired the Alex Meyer lottery ticket, they had two things going against them. And one of them I don't even think they knew was against them. And that would be that they weren't good at developing pitching compared to the rest of the league. And whatever they were doing to develop other pitchers maybe five or ten years ago, the game had changed. Other teams were implementing things that they weren't. Not to mention Alex Meyer is six foot eleven or seven feet tall. Really tough to repeat your delivery and your mechanics. So maybe Alex Meyer as a top 15 or 20 prospect when they acquired him. I think Baseball America had him as one of the top five or six pitching prospects. They were high, very high on him. As a high A-baller coming out of the Nationals organization. So maybe I'm making these numbers up, but maybe there was a 50% chance that he becomes a number one, number two, number three starter on average, just based on neutral development uh, culture. Okay, but then you add the fact that he can't repeat his mechanics and there's some major issues to work through there, either leading to injury or leading to lack of command and and lack of consistency. Sure. So maybe that brings him down to like 35 or 40%. And then you add in the fact that the Twins are one of the worst teams in baseball at developing pitching. 
maybe it was more like 15 or 20 percent chance of him succeeding. Now, if you put Alex Meyer in the Giants organization or the Indians or, or the Rays or, or another franchise that's been really good at pumping out young pitchers mm-hmm. and taking care of them and developing them, maybe instead of 15, 20 percent, maybe it's like 60 percent. We'll never know, and I'm, I'm right. totally making this up, but I, I do believe there's a spectrum sure, yeah, when you include absolutely. all these things when you're oh, talking yeah. about these lottery tickets. Yeah, well, and that's where the twins are rippable, but it's hard to quantify it. Yeah, it, like I said, it's the counterfactual argument. We, we, we won't know what Alex Meyer would be like if he stayed with the Nationals or if the Cardinals traded for him yeah. when he was 22. Um, it's, it's impossible to know, but fun to speculate. I still think that there's an important conversation to be had and some people might hear this and think, well, boy, you guys are really getting off the rails here. This is all made up. And it's true that it is, but it's a mental framework that's important um, from an organizational standpoint. The Twins should be thinking about it like this. How can we take someone who has a good percentage chance to contribute? Let's say Mejia. Actually, let's not use him. Let's use Cole Stewart. How do we take a kid that we drafted number four overall and get him from – you know, terrific athlete, football, baseball player into top of the rotation starter from the time he's a high school senior to the time he's 24 or 25 or 26. You not only have to think about the percentage chance that Cole Stewart could do that sort of on his own, and there's physical, there's mental, there's uh, emotional uh, pulls throughout that whole time. I mean, that's part of growing up in the minor leagues. That's part of uh, becoming, going from a young adult to an adult in any profession, but I, I think the strains are particularly demanding in baseball. Um, but then there's also that, okay, if he was a, it's, let's say the, the day that the Twins drafted him, he was a 65% chance to be a you know stud. And like a 10% chance to be a guy, and the rest is that he is a bust or won't contribute in any meaningful way. Of course, that would be a disappointment for a number four overall pick. So then you figure out those percentages, and then the Twins' job for the next five years after you draft him, is how do you maximize that 65%? How can you make small tweaks and changes or implement different strategies that takes that from a 65% chance to even a 67, 68% chance or 72%? These aren't huge gaps, but if you do that across 100 prospects and then you do that over, you know, 20 years for the life of a front office regime, okay, well, those incremental percentage chances are going to pay off in the form of two or three or more high-quality major leaguers that might not have made it in another organization. Yeah, and it might be that each individual thing wouldn't move the needle, but all of them added up. And, and I'm talking about everything from nutrition to workout programs to communication and buy-in between players and coaches and front office and relationships. And there's there's all these different factors you sure. can consider and maybe each one of them individually is worth a half percentage point of likeliness to succeed. And if you can add them all up, maybe you can get a player from you know sixty percent to seventy three percent or something. But that, but that's that, huge. But, but that over the course of that's fifty enormous. different pitchers right. and twenty different years, you might be talking about those extra three or four stud pitchers right. or guys who help yep. you in, in the bullpen to win a World Series. You come from a poker background. I come from a little bit more of a blackjack background. Uh, those small percentages don't sound big just on their own. If you say, oh, 60 to up to a 73% chance, most people would be like, wow, 60, 70, what's the difference? In blackjack, half of a percent is a huge swing. Poker, similar deal. You know, you're calculating your pot odds. It matters a lot. 
if you've got uh you know a nine to one chance to win this hand or an eleven to one. Like these are huge. And there's, and there's various things like in poker. I don't want to bore people with poker, but there's various things you can do where if you if you trace back a hand and people would so you start when there's a bunch of money in the pot at the end, and you might ask someone, well, why did you put that? That why did you put that you know X amount of dollars in the pot? Well, because I was pot committed. I had already played this deep into the hand. Okay, well. Why did you make this decision halfway through the hand? And it always traces back to sort of the core, which is why did you play that hand? Right. If you hadn't played that sure. hand to begin with, or if you hadn't done that thing, if you had, if if you had a plan going into the game or a plan going into the hand, you might have prevented yourself from losing something that you never should have been in, like you never should have lost money in that hand because sure. you should have folded beforehand. So, so I basically, th- <laughs> I think the if twins I hear never you, should have drafted Alex. I was just going to ask. I think if you, if I'm hearing you correctly, the Twins shouldn't draft pitchers. They shouldn't trade for pitchers. Nor should they ever sign for pitchers because it just never seems to work yeah. out. Well, actually, uh, well, they're pot committed. They do play baseball. In this Rob Anthony conversation, I still I'm on the record. I I'm with you. I agree. All three trades he made were good trades. It sounds like he wanted to make a couple more, but there just wasn't a market for Kurt Suzuki, who they could still trade in August. I think they wind up unloading him in August. He'll pass through waivers, or someone will claim him, and they'll, and they'll swing a deal. They might even trade um, uh, Tommy Malone before the end of August, too. But he's in a really interesting position. There's There was a, a non-zero but less than 5% chance of him getting the interim tag ripped off. Non-zero. In, in OTU before the trade deadline. I think his work leading up to the trade deadline makes you trust him a little bit more and that, okay, you were creative here in a couple ways. You did a couple things. You got some good value back, and so let's go from five percent chance to seven percent chance, whatever it is. We're doing a lot of percentages on I this know, show, and I like, like it. Oh, man, I like I'm it. I'm so bored of this crap. Right. If you want the job, and you're Rob Anthony, you want the interim tag ripped off you. You have no choice but when you go talk to Jim Polad and Dave St. Peter, if, if the search firm talks to you, whoever talks to you, you have to throw Terry Ryan under the bus. Yeah, the probably. only the only way. Not as a human. I don't think right, you have to throw him under the bus. He's a terrible guy. But look, I undid two of his mistakes. Here are the mistakes he made that I either, A, advocated against in the moment, and he just didn't listen to me, or B, saw something but didn't feel like it was my place to speak up because this is Terry's team, and ultimately he makes the final decisions, and three of his other yes-men were in his ear sort of against me as well. The only way I would ever consider hiring Rob Antony is if he went through the entire process that the other, let's say, five qualified outside candidates go through. If he goes through the same process as Ben Charrington and, um, and Alex Anthopoulos and whoever else, as, as if he's an outside candidate, but was able to tell you very definitively the, the five different things he would have done differently sure. and in that moment was advocating to do differently. Sure. Otherwise, you're just hiring a protege of the guy you let go, right? Yeah. It wouldn't make sense logically. Yep. Uh, I think we're pretty much on the same page there. Um, I do want to get to the rest of the trades, and I also want to talk about our Max Kepler beef. Two things before we do that. First, I looked up the Alexi Casilla trade. It was J.C. Romero wow. straight up. So, so Romero I'm went wrong. to where? Philly? Uh, the Angels, I think, right? Yeah, Anaheim Angels, 2003. I'm wrong a lot. Interesting, okay. I'm wrong, like, Pretty much all the time. I was way wrong on that. So in times when I'm actually right and the blind squirrel finds a nut, which, by the way, I've never understood that phrase because squirrels actually use their keen sense of smell to find nuts. So, so like a blind squirrel would have no trouble. So it should be like the squirrel that has a clothespin over its nose. Yeah, nut, yeah, right? like the deviated septum squirrel yeah. still finds a nut every sure once thing. in a while. Yeah. Um, so just to uh, for factual, in the essence of clarity, uh, yes, 
I happened to be right about nice. that one trade. Secondly, uh, because I'm right so often on trades like this, listeners of the Touch Mall podcast, I think you'll want to be on the mailing list. That's right. I started an email list, five thoughts. Every time I write a column, I send it out to everyone who's on that list. If you're still listening to a podcast after the trade deadline for this team, it means you like baseball. It means you'll want to be on this list. Go to any of my columns, put your email in there, and uh, I will do all of the rest. You'll get all of those. Back to the show. Shill. I know. <laughs> I don't apologize for it. Actually, I, I, I kind of do. I feel, I feel a little bad. But here we are. Um, you... We, we, we talked in depth about the Nolasco trade, and that's the one that's kind of like surface level most interesting to me because it was the biggest move. I kind of want to breeze over the Fernando Abad trade. I think it was it turned into a great signing this winter. The Twins took a minor league flyer on him. He turned out to be great for two and a half months, and then they spun those yeah. numbers. He's like 30. You get a 25-year-old yep. in that sure. light who throws 100 miles an hour. We'll see what happens. Another lottery ticket, but we'll see. Uh, figure out what the percentage chance that he's a contributor. I think that's non-zero, too. Um, and Pat Light, by the way, has to get in line behind the other hard-throwing uh, strikeout pitchers that the Twins have added to their system over the past three years. Uh, Trevor May, Ryan Presley, Michael Tonkin, J.T. Shagwa, Nick Birdie, Pat Light. You, there's, a, there's a clear pattern here. There's a trend. These pitchers didn't exist in the Twins minor leagues 10 years ago. Remember when Juan Murillo was such a big thing because oh he gosh. threw hard? Juan Murillo. Yeah. And so that's a that's a from the Rockies, right? It's a bit of a cautionary tale. Who did they give up for Juan Murillo? I'm trying to remember. Or was what he? He might have been a waiver claim. I, I think he was a waiver claim. I wish I remembered. But, Juan Murillo. Okay, so here's two things that I can say. This is why Juan Murillo is important. One, in the past, he used to be a novelty in this organization. Whoa! Did that radar gun just have three numbers on it? Mm -hmm. Yes. Get used to it because the Twins have a lot of guys like that now. Number two. There was a guy who threw really, really hard and had no idea where it was going. Some of the guys I just mentioned are on that list as well. Alex Meyer absolutely was on that list. Some people argue that Boreos is kind of bordering on being on that list. I, I tend to think that he's got a better ability to rein that in as a, as a young kid. I still think he's got high upside as a starting pitcher. But the point is, just because somebody can hit 100 on a radar gun doesn't mean you're going to remember his name in 10 years much like some of our listeners are like, Juan Mar who? Juan Mario. He threw hard and didn't know where it was going. It's not always a great recipe. Yeah. Actually, the, the things you just mentioned are reasons why I, I have much more hope if I'm the Twins than, than maybe two months ago when you were 10 and 33. Well, they're playing better baseball for starters. They're, they're playing about 500 baseball since they were 10 and 33, which is a decent consolation prize. And hey, it's, yeah. it's, not, it's, not, it's not a complete train wreck anymore. You've got this thing at least on a competitive path. Max Kepler, at the time of this recording, just hit three bombs last night. He might hit four tonight. Who knows? Yeah, he's he's absurd. Um, Jose Barrios, it just he felt too amped up in his first stint. He just he was walking too many guys. He yeah. was leaving balls over the plate that he probably wasn't in the minor in leagues. Three one in the minors, you could throw it by a guy. He got up here and he he didn't know where it was going. Yeah, but after he sort of. Uh, he showed you the same thing that he showed you the first into the first inning against Cleveland last night. Sixteen straight batters retired. So all these things, um, I think you've you've landed some good young pitchers. You've got more flamethrowers. Things are going a little bit more in the right direction. 
I still don't feel comfortable if I'm Jim Polad or Dave St. Peter just because, okay, 500 baseball and a couple good trades at the deadline. <laughs> right. Whew, glad we weathered that storm. <laughs> right. Let's forge ahead. Yeah, There's still exactly. a lot of things that have to change, but I definitely would feel better if I'm the Twins now than I did two months ago. Yeah, yeah six weeks ago. I mean, the, this thing has started. Now, look, here's the problem for the Twins. If you're Dave St. Peter, does not matter because everyone's already tuned out. You know, to both of our loyal listeners of the Touch Em All podcast, thank you very much, uh, Mrs. Mackey and Mrs. Wetmore. We really do appreciate the idea <laughs> that you still tune in. Um, but that hurts. The fact that they started, if the Twins did a nosedive at the end of the season and it went 10 and 33, it would be terribly disappointing and it would, you know, portend ill things for the following season and you'd have all these questions to answer in the winter. But you wouldn't have eroded a season ticket base. You wouldn't have had people tune off Fox Sports North. You wouldn't have had people not even check the box score in the morning paper because, hey, Vikings training camp is starting. The Twins have put themselves in that situation already, and there's, I see, no way to play out of it the rest of the year. But with that being said, for anyone who still is paying attention to this team, the interesting thing to me is to see, okay, now how does this play into next year? How do you, where do you go from here? What is Max Kepler? What is Byron Buxton? What is J.O. Barreos? These, these questions are going to start to get answered this summer. It's not like we have to wait until Fort Myers to figure out what's going on with some of this stuff. So there's still things to watch for, pay attention. Some of the young guys are absolutely where I start on that list, and that, that list probably includes Miguel Sano, too. Where is he going to oh settle in as a major yeah, league? He's, uh, he's been benched a couple games in a row as we enter uh, the second game against Cleveland. Actually, that's a really interesting one right there. And I, I've heard now from some people around the team, the work ethic questions are, are definitely legitimate. Yeah. He just either He's either aloof or a little bit too comfortable in the performance from last season. And, uh, and even this offseason, I, I know it wasn't a good idea to send you out to right field, but you're a right fielder, so go put some work into it and try to be good, and yeah. he didn't. And now he's making an embarrassment and a mockery of himself at third base. Yeah. And it, it's, it, I look at that clubhouse, and this is I explained this theory to Judd on the show, and um, I think it, this is my own sort of made-up theory just watching society and watching clubhouses and, and locker rooms uh, just covering sports the last decade or so. Sounds like we're about to go very deep here. This is a life lesson okay, for everyone. You, will you light some incense before we get going hey, on this? Here's a life lesson for anyone looking to hand out advice to a coworker or even a family member or a friend. Mm-hmm. And this, I think, applies directly to Miguel Sano and the lack of real high-caliber qualified leaders in the Twins clubhouse post-Tory Hunter. And I will take you back to the last time Torrey Hunter got on a young player, and it was Justin Morneau. In fact, he tried to punch Justin Morneau in 2004, maybe five. Swing and a miss. Actually, he didn't miss. He landed on Nick Punto, <laughs> if the story is accurate. I classify that as a miss. And so Torrey Hunter was great at leading clubhouses because he carried credibility in the way he played. He always played all out 100%, diving after baseballs, working his ass off behind the scenes, hitting 25 home runs and playing gold glove defense. He had all the credibility in the world. And so when he gave advice to young players, those players were looking up to him. Those players were looking at where they wanted to be in five years or wherever wherever they were looking down the line. And Torrey was at that level or above it. Mm-hmm. Now, with Miguel Sano, I don't think there's anyone in that clubhouse. If Miguel Sano is projecting five years down the road in his own mind, okay, in his own mind, this is who I think I'm going to be in five years. There's nobody in that clubhouse that he perceives as being at or above 
where he thinks he's going to be in five years, which means there's really no one to give him credible advice or, or to, to really put their arm around him. Sure. I'll never forget the story about Delman Young at the Twins Team Hotel on the road somewhere. Ron Coomer was doing some analyst work for Fox Sports North. And Ron Coomer was a 10-year major leaguer, maybe even longer than that. And Ron was a good, he was an all-star one year, kind of by default because the Twins didn't have a great roster. But Ron was a good, solid major league player who played for a number of years. And uh, this is before Delman broke out in 2010, which was, by the way, for the record, his only real viable major league season. Mm-hmm. This is like in 08 or 09. And Ron pulled Delman aside at the team hotel. They were at the team bar just kind of hanging out, just casually. And he said, hey, there's a couple, like, you're hitting a lot of ground balls, and there's some things like, if you made a tweak here in your mechanics, I'd love to sit down and talk some hitting with you. And Delman basically laughed at Ron Coomer and said, Ron, I'm, I'm already a better player than you ever were was the main message to Coomer, Oof. which obviously Coomer, he's, he's like, Coomer's not going to pick a fight. Coomer's like, all right, whatever, dude, that's fun. Huh. But Delman, in his own mind, I'm not talking reality, in his own mind, it was so arrogant, he looked at Coomer and didn't think, oh, this is a guy who could offer me something and could really help me get to the next level. He, he looked at Coomer and said, you're not credible because where I want to be and where I think I am in my mind is beyond you. I think there's a touch of that with Miguel Sano and that there's really... And, I, and I'm sure Paul Molitor is a, is a guy who could have some credibility when talking to Miguel, but Paul, right. Paul's a 60-year-old manager. Mm-hmm. Are there any peers in the system or in the organiz- in, 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 on the 25-man roster that Miguel would look at now that Torrey Hunter's gone and in his own head say, yeah, you're, I want to be where you are, and I think that you could offer me some valuable advice? I don't know if there are. And I think that is a leadership problem in the Twins Clubhouse that okay. sort of goes untalked about. Uh, let me ask you a question before I answer. My thought on that question, you mentioned that it's like some there's some pillar advice for society here. So what's your advice for a 23-year-old Miguel Sano and or a 24-year-old Delman Young in well, 2000? My advice would be be more self-aware. Be more aware of where you are. Uh, be more aware of the people around you that could offer value to you sure the, maybe sure if you're dumb and young no maybe ron coomer isn't as good as you want to be but maybe ron coomer has a couple things that he could teach you and maybe if you're being self-aware maybe he's right about a couple things yeah if you're miguel sano maybe there there's there's value out there to be had there's people that can offer you things and there's people that could maybe teach you some things about third base or being a better hitter in certain counts to cut down on the strikeouts and i just don't get the sense talking to people around the organization that he's all in i just I think he's he's relying too much on talent, and that's only going to get him to a certain point. Um, fair, I think. I, my read on the situation. Um, and I, I'll, I'll answer your question, and then I just want to move on because I don't want to have an argument about this. But I do think Miguel Sano and his close friends on the team do see that in Joe Maurer. Think whatever you want about him. Break him down any which way you want to. The analytics, I get it. But I think that a lot of people in that sort of age group that Sano's in looks to Joe Maurer and says, because think about when, I mean, when they were coming up and sort of like really becoming invested in this dream of being a pro baseball player, he was one of the best players in the world. But is, but, is, but Joe's always the introverted he's not, guy who he's doesn't. He's not going to hug him and right. say, hey, this is what you need to do. Or, or lace into him. Sure. I'm yeah. not saying you have That's to punch a guy in the face like Tori was trying to do, but not gonna can you light into someone and say, hey, this is, there needs to be a come to Jesus conversation here. Do you want to just sort of coast through and be a decent player who's a hack at third base, or do you want to be one of the greatest hitters of our generation? Because yeah. you're talented enough to be Miguel Cabrera or to be 
Paul Goldschmidt, one of the great hitters of our of our ten year period. Sure, we can. Uh, I I, I want to say one thing, and then we just hash out our Kepler argument quickly. Sure. Two listeners of the podcast. If you don't remember this column, go back and read it now. Pat Royce penned in spring training about how. Yes, the Twins probably I – th- I think this was the essence of it. Pat and I have talked about it since. I, I, so I hope I'm not miscasting what he wrote. But a lot of people, especially in the – like I, I heard a lot of listeners of ours on the podcast, a lot of our friends on Twitter being like, Pat, what does Pat know? He's so wrong on this to blame Sano. Go back and read the column where it basically says that the Twins do best by him by moving him to right field? Maybe not. I mean, the Twins probably deserve some blame here. Mm-hmm. But Miguel Sano also deserves some blame. Go back and read that column. I, I wouldn't have taken... If I was line editing that, I wouldn't have taken out anything. I know it caught a lot of heat, um, especially locally and even more so nationally, because the perception was, well, he's being racist and calling Miguel Sano a lazy player. I got news for you. It had nothing to do with that. It had everything to do with Pat being down there for six weeks, recognizing the level of work that other players put in versus the, you know, supposed superstar Miguel Sano and sort of that attitude that exists. Listeners, go read that column by Pat Royce. I think it's um, eye-opening in some ways. And I do think I I tend to take the optimistic view of things. I do think that if Miguel Sano has gotten to this point, with basically what I would consider not even trying that hard, I think that's a sign of encouragement for Twins fans. Sure. That as soon as, assuming this light goes on for him, that, hey, if I outwork everybody else too, oh, man. I am going to be a perennial all-star, uh, you know, the, the one of the great hitters like you were just mentioning. He's, that doesn't happen by accident. No, he's, he's no different skill-wise than a young Kevin Garnett or a Kobe sure. Bryant. But the, the difference there is those guys... Obsessed. Absolutely yeah. obsessed. Kobe Bryant in the gym at three o'clock in the morning, and just like even at pra- Michael Jordan was the same way. Those guys were you, you, every once in a while, maybe maybe a, a few of these guys in the league at any given time mm-hmm. in any given league are the combination of extremely talented and also work harder than everybody else around them. Sure. And that's when you get Hall of Fame caliber players. Sure. Miguel Sano, I can tell you, Miguel Sano, Manny Ramirez, guys like the. You might think, oh, Manny Ramirez was a goof-off. Manny Ramirez put in a ton of work behind the scenes, talking to people who were in the league and were around him when he played. So, you know, I I don't know if there's a a bow to put on this conversation, but it's not that the book hasn't been written on Miguel Sano, but I think we've reached a crossroads here a little bit with the the hack work he's put in at third base so far and uh, the the strikeouts that keep rising, even in situations where you got to put a bat on the ball. If he's a first baseman, all right, fine. But that would is that, suck is that what you twins. want? Is that your destiny as a exactly. twenty-three-year-old? You want to you want to go from shortstop exactly. to first base within three years? Okay. Do you want to shrug your shoulders and say that's fine? I'll be a first baseman DH. Then that's fine. And then if that's your route, then hey, man, I who am I to say? But if you really want to put in the work, if you want to go try to be the guys that you look up to, like an Adrian Beltre, uh, Robinson Cano, I know he really looks up to Cano. Trust me, those guys didn't get to where they are by accident. It didn't just—they didn't wake up one day and they're like, "Oh, I'm good at hitting baseballs." No, no, no. Those guys were workout fiends too. Um, so that's part of it. I want to hash out our Kepler thing just so that we're both on the record with our Kepler takes. Hashtag Kepler takes right now. Uh, you brought up Justin Morneau. This was on the radio show Tuesday. He reminds me of Justin Morneau for sure. Left-handed, Le- left-handed hitter. swing. Uh, you know, both. I think both guys. 
were a little bit late bloomers in terms of power too. Didn't really develop the power until they were twenty three ish years old. Like sure. the, the power you're seeing lately mm-hmm. with with uh, Max Kepler, and then the power that Morneau generated when he was twenty three. So it turned into like an argument that was not really an argument because we were shouting at each other from the same side of the fence, right? As it wasn't like a home improvement situation. Well, I said I, my my premise was. This is not a fluke. What you're seeing from Max Kepler is not a fluke. He's a stud offensive player. It's not going to be sophomore slump, Eddie Rosario, Danny Santana, Kenny Vargas. He has a great command of the strike zone. He's got great mechanics as a hitter. He's patient. He's confident. He just he seems to be the total package. I said, he, this isn't a fluke. And you said, well, he's not a 34 home run hitter. And I said, well, I'm not saying he's a 34 okay. home run hitter. Okay. That, hashtag pace. Right. <laughs> Maybe he is. I don't know. I don't think so. I'm saying he's a late bloomer when it comes to power. Sure. And, and his ability to hit at a high level sure. is not a fluke. I agree with that. So we're on the same team there. He's better than Danny Santana. He's better than Eddie Rosario. He's better than Kenny's Vargas. Um, who else am I missing? I mean, Eduardo Escobar popped up for a little bit. He is a legit player. I think Max Kepler will make multiple all-star teams. Where I disagreed was when, just the Monero comparison in terms of the power, I just, I get it, 14 home runs in 230 at-bats, or plate appearances for Kepler. That's phenomenal. Don't, don't get me wrong. I don't think he keeps that up. He's right now hitting 250, 260 with a 330 on-base percentage and a 550 slugging. I think he's a great player. I think he's going to make multiple all-star teams. I think he's one of the best young Twins players that we've seen since that last wave that included, you know, Maurer, Morneau, that kind of group. But I don't I don't see him being a 550 slugger. I don't see him ever hitting 30 home runs. I think he can be a very good player. I'd rather we compare him more with somebody like say Torrey Hunter just for example. Doubles with some pop. I'm he'll probably hit 20 to 25 home runs each year. Um, and he plays some defense. He's got a ton of value. I think where we were picking Nitz was exactly how many home runs he was sure. going to hit. I, I, I do think, I mean, he's not an exact clone of Justin Morneau, who is probably more of a run producer. He than, actually looks like a clone of Justin Bieber, uh, one Twins wow. player. One Twins player pulled me aside in the clubhouse <laughs> during spring training and said, check this kid out. You're going you're gonna to want to watch this kid. I know he looks like just a ripped version of Justin Bieber, but trust me, this kid can play baseball. <laughs> He's a confident kid, man. He, uh, when Audra Martin from Fox Sports North was interviewing him last night, I was watching the post game okay. after he hit three home runs, and she said, is this as high as your confidence has ever been? And he kind of smiled. He didn't want to be disrespectful, but he goes, my confidence is is sustained. <laughs> it's just sustained. That's awesome. I love that answer. I mean, well, Good it, for him. And he didn't. And he didn't really. He could have said. He could have given a Ricky Henderson answer, like "Screw you, I'm always confident." Sure, I'm Ricky Henderson. But it Good was him. It was as understated yet confident as you could as you could uh, swing it. I, between him, Byron Buxton, and Miguel Sano, as far as complete package, he's the leader in the clubhouse right now because Miguel Sano can't play defense. Mm-hmm. And you could even make a case that Max Kepler and Miguel Sano are, are pretty similar in terms of the, the production they've given you on a rate basis as hitters, young hitters. Uh, Buxton's a great defender, but hasn't figured it out worth yeah. a lick at the plate. So if I'm ranking those three right now in terms of where they're at, Kepler 1, Sano 2, and Buxton 3. That sure. could change. That sure. could change if Buxton has the light bulb go yep. on. But. I put him on my I would not trade list uh, when I wrote the column for 1500ESPN.com. I've got uh, another Kepler story, but I think we have to get into it for another podcast uh, before we wrap this one up. But uh, just for everyone's knowledge, 
the people that have asked and uh, and responded by saying that they would be interested in a live Touch 'Em All podcast, we are going to do that. We're in the process of figuring out the gear, figuring out the location, doing all that stuff. So look forward for uh, sometime. I would guess in the next month or so. Would you say that's fair? We'll do uh, a yeah, uh, live Touch 'Em All podcast once we're done with because you and I are both sort of moonlighting in Mankato for Vikings training camp. So probably toward the end of August or or maybe uh, early September or I don't know the state fair is coming up too. So maybe between mm. Mankato and State Fair. Yeah, uh, moonlighting in Mankato. It's not actually what it sounds like. Oh, no, we bring the same equipment and we sing karaoke. It's very exciting. That's the PG version of, yes, moonlighting in Mankato. 